Section 58 of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Nater. The World's Story, Volume 13, The United States. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 58. How the 49ers Reached California. By Henry Charles Merwin. The length of the voyage from Atlantic ports to San Francisco was from four to five months, but most of the pioneers who came by sea avoided the passage around Cape Horn and crossed the Isthmus of Nicaragua, or, more commonly, of Panama. This, in either case, was a much shorter route, but it added the horrors of pestilence and fever, and of possible robbery and murder, to the ordinary dangers of the sea. All the blacklegs, it was noticed, took the shorter route, deeming themselves no doubt incapable of sustaining the prolonged ennui of a voyage around the cape passengers who crossed the isthmus of panama disembarked at chagres a port so unhealthy that policies of life insurance contained a clause to the effect that if the insured remained there more than one night his policy would be void chagres enjoyed the distinction of being the dirtiest place in the world the inhabitants were almost all negroes and one pioneer declared that a flock of buzzards would present a favorable comparison with them from chagres there was first a voyage of seventy-five miles up the river of the same name to gorgona or to cruces five miles farther this was accomplished in dugouts propelled by native indians thence to panama the pioneers travelled on foot or on muleback over a narrow winding bridle path through the mountains so overhung by trees and dense tropical growths that in many places it was dark even at midday this was the opportunity of the indian muleteer and more than one gold seeker never emerged from the gloomy depths of that winding trail originally it was the work of the indians but the spaniards who used the path in the sixteenth century had improved it and in many places had secured the bank with stones now however the trail had fallen into decay and in spots was almost impassable but the tracks worn in the soft calcareous rock by the many iron-shot hoofs which had passed over it still remained and the mule that bore the american seeking gold in california placed his feet in the very holes which had been made by his predecessors painfully bearing the silver of peru on its way to enrich the grandees of spain bad as the journey across the isthmus was or might be the enforced delay at panama was worse the number of passengers far exceeded the capacity of the vessels sailing from that port to san francisco and those who waited at panama were in constant danger of cholera of the equally dreaded panama fever and sometimes of smallpox the heat was almost unbearable and the blacks were a source of annoyance and even of danger Quote, there is not in the whole world remarked a contemporary san francisco paper a more infamous collection of villains than the jamaica negroes who are congregated at panama and chagres in their eagerness to get away from panama some pioneers paid in advance for transportation in old rotten hogs which were never expected or intended to reach san francisco but which springing a leak or being otherwise disabled would put into some port in lower california where the passengers would be left without the means of continuing their journey and frequently without money both on the voyage from panama and also on the long route around cape horn ship captains often saved their good provisions for the california market 
and fed their passengers on nauseous lobscouse and dunderfunk. Scurvy and other diseases resulted. An appeal to the United States consul at Rio Janeiro when the ship touched there was sometimes effectual, and in other cases the passengers took matters into their own hands and disciplined a rapacious captain or deposed a drunkard one. In view of these uprisings, some New York skippers declined to take command of ships about to sail for California, supposing that passengers who could do such an unheard-of thing as to rebel against the master of a vessel must be a race of pirates. Great pains were taken to secure a crew of determined men for these ships, and a plentiful supply of muskets, handcuffs, and shackles was always put on board but such precautions proved to be ridiculously unnecessary. There was no case in which the pioneers usurped authority on shipboard without sufficient cause, and in no case was an emigrant brought to trial on reaching San Francisco. In the various ports at which they stopped, much was to be seen of foreign peoples and customs, and not infrequently the pioneers had an opportunity to show their mettle. At Santa Catarina, for example, a port on the lower coast of Brazil, a young American was murdered by a Spaniard. The authorities were inclined to treat the matter with great indifference, but there happened to be in the harbor two shiploads of passengers en route to San Francisco, and these men threatened to seize the fortress and demolish it if justice was not done. Thereupon the murderer was tried and hanged. Many South Americans in the various ports along the coast got their first correct notion of the people of the United States from these chance encounters with sea-going pioneers. Still more, of course, was the overland journey an education in self-reliance, in that resourcefulness which distinguishes the American, and in that courage which was so often needed and so abundantly displayed in the early mining days independence in the state of missouri was a favorite starting point and from this place there were two routes the southern one being by way of santa fe and the northern route following the oregon trail to fort hall and thence ascending the course of the humboldt river to its rise in the sierra nevadas at fort hall some large companies which had travelled from the mississippi river and even from states east of that separated one half going to oregon the other turning westward to California, and thus were broken many ties of love and friendship which had been formed in the close intimacy of the long journey, especially between the younger members of the company. Old diaries and letters reveal suggestions of romance, if not of tragedy, in these separations, and in the choice which the emigrant maiden was sometimes forced to make between the conflicting claims of her lover and her parents. In the year 1850, 50,000 crossed the plains. In 1851, immigration fell off, because even at that early date there was a business, quote-unquote, depression, almost a, quote-unquote, panic in California. But in 1852 it increased again, and the plains became a thoroughfare, dotted so far as the eye could see with long trains of white-covered wagons moving slowly through the dust. In one day a party from Virginia passed 32 wagons, and during a stop in the afternoon, five hundred overtook them. In after years, the course of these wagons could easily be traced by the alien vegetation which marked it. Wherever the heavy wheels had broken the tough prairie sod, there sprang up, from the Missouri to the Sierras, a narrow belt of flowering plants and familiar dooryard weeds, 
silent witnesses of the great migration which had passed that way. Multitudes of horsemen accompanied the wagons, and other multitudes plodded along on foot. Banners were flying here and there, and the whole appearance was that of an army on the march. At night camp fires gleamed from miles through the darkness, and if the company were not exhausted, the music of a violin or a banjo floated out on the still air of the prairies. But the fatigue of the march, supplemented by the arduous labors of camping out, was usually sufficient to send the travelers to bed at the earliest possible moment. The food consisted chiefly of salt pork or bacon, varied when that was possible with buffalo meat or venison, beans, baked dough called bread, and flapjacks. The last, always associated with mining life in California, were made by mixing flour and water into a sort of butter, seasoning with salt, adding a little saleratus or cooking soda, and frying the mixture in a pan greased with fat. Men ate enormously on these journeys. Four hundred pounds of sugar lasted for pioneers only ninety days. This inordinate appetite, and the quantity of salt meat eaten, frequently resulted in scurvy, from which there were some deaths. Another cause of illness was the use of milk from cows driven along with the wagon trains, and made feverish by heat and fatigue. Many of the emigrants, especially those who undertook the journey in forty-nine or fifty, were insufficiently equipped, and little aware of the difficulties and dangers which awaited them. Death in many forms hovered over those heavy, creaking, canvas-covered wagons, the quote-unquote prairie schooners, which, drawn sometimes by horses, sometimes by oxen, sometimes by mules, jolted slowly and laboriously over two thousand miles and more of plain and mountain. Death from disease, from want of water, from starvation, from Indians, and, in crossing the Sierras, from ranging snowstorms and intense cold. Rivers had to be forded, deserts crossed, and a thousand accidents and annoyances encountered. Some men made the long journey on foot, even from points east of the Mississippi River. One gray-haired pioneer walked all the way from Michigan with a pack on his back. Another enthusiast obtained some notoriety among the emigrants of 1850 by trundling a wheelbarrow laden with his goods from Illinois to Salt Lake City. Often the cattle would break loose at night and disappear on the vast plains, and men in search of them were sometimes lost and died of starvation or were killed by Indians. Simply for the sake of better grazing, oxen have been known to retrace their steps at night for twenty-five miles. The opportunities for selfishness, for petulance, for obstinacy, for resentment, were almost innumerable. Cooking and washing were the labors which, in the absence of women, proved most vexatious to the emigrants. Quote, of all miserable work, said one, washing is the worst, and no man who crossed the plains will ever find fault again with his wife for scalding on a washing day. End quote. All the pioneers who have related their experiences on the overland journey speak of the bad effect on men's tempers. Quote, the perpetual vexation and hardships keep the nerves in a state of great irritability. The trip is a sort of magic mirror, exposing every man's qualities of heart, vicious or amiable. End, quote. End of section 58